0: Welcome, Perfect Stranger. My name is Valérie. I see myself as a nomad with deep roots. I'm fascinated by our cultural differences, and at the same time, by what we all have in common. The more I meet people from diverse backgrounds, the more I learn about myself and the world. In this podcast, I would like to give you the opportunity to experience it by stepping in somebody else's shoes for a moment. Today, I'm happy to welcome Hala. Her memoir is titled Bridge Between Worlds, a Lebanese Arab American woman's journey. She will share with us her
1: personal story. I got actually an email from somebody who read it who said, I never realized Arabs are full human beings. She will also share her experience as a therapist. As an immigrant, you're uprooted from your home country uh, voluntarily or sometimes not. And like a plant, you know, think of uprooting a plant. It needs to be planted again. That's what I refer to as searching for a sense of belonging and home. Share your stories with your children, with your grandchildren, because as a therapist, I can tell you that your story is part of their story. Your grandparents' and parents' and and ancestors' stories are also their stories. And I found in therapy that people needed that piece of the puzzle in order to understand themselves. Even though your kids may say, oh, I'm not interested.
0: So, ready to listen to her? Thank you to have accepted to be interviewed for my podcast. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. I took my inspiration from the book you wrote. And the name of the book is Bridge Between Words, A Lebanese-Arab-American Woman's Journey. My first question would be about identity because the book is a lot about who you are as a person, and how your
1: identity defines you, and all complexities. I can say quickly why I wrote the book, because I I did it without realizing I wanted to publish it. But what it became is really, besides my personal story, it's a universal story of searching for belonging and home, especially if you're an immigrant. I've been an American citizen for 52 years, but I am still an immigrant in some way. And so identity, when you also are of a mixed heritage, my father is Muslim. My mother is Christian. I grew up in Lebanon, went to university in Beirut, Lebanon. And my husband is a foreign service officer. So we moved around a lot. So it was really just finding who I am, you know, with all this highly mobile lifestyle, but also as somebody with multiple identities. And I'm an artist and an art therapist. So my art is how I sort of (laughs) found myself is through the art. And that's why the title is Bridge Between Worlds, because it sort of gave me the gift of realizing I'm a human bridge like so many people. As an immigrant, you're uprooted from your home country. Uh, voluntarily or sometimes not. And like a plant, you know, think of uprooting a plant. It needs to be planted again. That's what I refer to as searching for a sense of belonging and home. I'm based in Adlerian psychology, and it talks about every human being has a very basic need to belong. It's just a survival thing, which is why now COVID is so hard, because neuroscience shows brains are wired to connect so we're social beings. And we have to find that belonging, whether we do it in a negative or positive way. So what I mean by that is that when you think of gangs and extremist groups, it's a group of people who are searching for belonging and find it, even if it's an antisocial way or, or in a negative way. The ideal, obviously, is finding a sense of belonging in a new country, and socially contributing to this new country that you really have chosen to live in. So then you lived in many different countries and you were like
0: moving every two, three, four years for a very long time. So how can you belong when you move so often?
1: Well, that is (laughs) a very good question and one I'm sure maybe a lot of listeners might identify with. Yeah, my husband, as I said, is a foreign service officer. We spent 31 years moving from one country to another, you know, spending two, three years in each. And I didn't realize at the time, I was very young, naive, that I couldn't really plant my roots permanently. I would plant them temporarily for two, three years and then to sort of pull them out again and go to the next place. And it's only when my husband retired and we came home to the U.S. finally that I realized, hey, you know what? This is where my roots are not going to be firmly planted. This is my home now. And yet, as an immigrant, you also have an attachment to your family, to your culture, to your country. And, And Lebanon, as many don't really know, is a gorgeous country. It's beautiful We've got mountains and the Mediterranean Sea, so people always say you can ski in the morning and go swim in the afternoon. So it's a very blessed country physically. It has problems, as we have seen recently. And that was another impetus to publish my book because I found that Lebanon and other places in the Middle East are only newsworthy here when there's problems, when there's a war violence or conflict. And I wanted to give a personal context to my birth culture. But as you said, you know, moving around a lot, I didn't realize how that was really preventing me from finding a really true sense of belonging. Does it mean
0: that during all these years, you still thought you belonged in Lebanon? And that was where your roots were? And then you realize maybe at a certain point that Lebanon was not home that much anymore.
1: Yeah. What happens is, and as an immigrant, even if you're not in the foreign service, I was away from Lebanon for 25 years because they had the civil war. And then we went back a couple of times. So when you leave a place, even if it was your birth country for 25 years, going back, or you just don't feel fully at home anymore. So that's that's the whole metaphor of being a human bridge that I have. Part of me is home in Lebanon, and part of me is home here in the U.S., fully anchored in both, but most of the time living in between. And this living in between was the search for identity and coming to terms with the fact that, hey, you know, always living in between is challenging and sometimes painful, but it's a great gift. Because if you think of a bridge, if you're standing in the middle of a bridge, you can see 360 degrees around. You have a perspective that people on either side of the, you know, land can see what you see. And therefore, people like me who are human bridges are integrators. They can see the best of both worlds and they can see the worst. We can bring the best and create, you know, our own, (laughs) I don't know if it's a mini culture, but that's how I find a sense of belonging. I really like the idea of
0: a bridge because that's really, it's a great metaphor for that. It makes me think of, uh, in your book, you speak about Amin Malouf's book about identities and about the fact that nobody has a single identity. We have all complex identities and we should embrace them. Because yeah. as you say, it's the fact to have one identity then can be the start of uh, conflicts and violence. And the fact that you accept that you have different identities, and I mean, you see that as that yeah, a absolutely. gift. And
1: it's that perspective I was talking about and seeing the good and the not so good in, in multiple cultures now because we moved around so much. And and Malouf's book in the name of identity is really opened my eyes to what I was going through, searching for who am I now? You know, in my sixties and seventies, you have almost a responsibility when a human ridge, because this this whole idea of us versus them that gets us into conflicts and wars. For me, I'm both us and them, <laughs> and so it is helping people understand and realize, and also as a therapist and, you know, licensed counselor and art therapist, I teach cross-culturally here and in Europe. And there's something where if you understand that there are, if you generalize two basic worldviews, one is called individualistic, which is like the U.S., and one is communitarian or sometimes called collective. And the difference is that an individualistic society like we have here in the States, the individual is the central aspect. It's the me. And you know, we talk about he's a self-made man, Really? <laughs> 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 who birthed him, who raised him, who fed him, who whereas a communitarian culture, it's more the us, the group. So Lebanon, where I grew up, the family is central to everything. And there's a reciprocity of always being there for each other. There's some negative things to that. But I think we are all coming to blend both the me and the us. And that would be ideal because then it's not a division of us versus them. There is no versus. We are both. And so to realize that we all have a shared humanity, regardless of our differences.
0: When you came to live in the U.S., you felt you were also American, but you learned, you discovered also part of your identities living in the United States. Because as you say in your book, Lebanese, Arab, American. Yes.
1: And the reason I've never liked hyphenated sort of identities, but I felt I needed to Especially after 9-11, I needed to show up, so to speak, and to say, you know, I am mainly a Lebanese American because Lebanon is my country. But if you look at the context of the area where I live, I'm also an Arab because I speak Arabic. That's what makes an Arab Arab, really, in some way. After 9-11, you felt it was important to to say that
0: you are an Arab so that people could learn some positive things also.
1: Yeah, and people would say, oh, you can't be Arab. And I'd say, why can't I be Arab? I mean, Arabs don't have horns. We're not terrorists, you know. Just because a group of extremists are doing so much horrible things doesn't mean all of us are bad. Just like... You know, you wouldn't condemn all the Christian men after the Oklahoma bombing. So it's not throwing sort of everybody in the same pot, which to me is part of being a human bridge is, is sharing my whole story and having that metaphor of, of the bridge. Also, as an artist, I find art is something that unites us all, that it's universal. Art is in every culture. Is something that brings us together. You look at music. Music is now an integration of different kinds of music. So if we can do it in music and art, why can't we do it in other places in our cultures? But I also had to reconnect with my country, with Lebanon, because I, when I went back, I felt like I wasn't totally home because you can imagine 25 years after a civil war and everything, but my family there was home that was my anchor there. And I realized, hey, this will always be part of me because that's where I grew up. I was born. And Malouf and actually Jubran, Khalil Jubran, has some very important things that he says in his book, The Prophet, about being both an American and Lebanese and how you need to honor and love both countries is how I feel. And I'm grateful for what my home birth country gave me and what This country that I chose and and adopted also gave me. And so it's really a win-win. And I can share because I'm a therapist and I have permission to do that from my client. But I had a Latina client who was, she just couldn't get herself to apply for citizenship. She had her green card. And when we worked in art therapy and I said, what would happen if, if you became an American citizen? And she said, I would disappear. I would become invisible because she thought she would lose her roots, her home country. And so when I shared my story, she realized, hey, you know, it's not lose-lose, it's win-win. And she did get her citizenship. So I think it also helps maybe people understand that it is not easy to pull up your roots and leave your country and your family and everything behind. But, you know, in these days, as you can see, there's a lot of people who have to do that. And, you know, there's a quote there that I know you like, too, by John O'Donohue, who's an Irish poet, who said, Where you're understood, you're home. Understanding nourishes belonging. And I felt the need to be understood and to understand myself first in order to mm-hmm. be understood. So the, the journey of writing my book over 14 years... Uh, was a real gift because it was a very healing journey. And I encourage all my friends and you and everybody, please share your stories. If you don't want to write and publish, that's fine. But share your stories with your children, with your grandchildren. Because as a therapist, I can tell you that your story is part of their story. Your grandparents and parents and, and ancestors' stories are also their stories and I found in therapy that people needed that piece of the puzzle in order to understand themselves. Even though your kids may say, oh, I'm not interested. At some point in their life, they'll remember, oh, I remember my mom telling me this or my dad telling me this. And sometimes it's, <laughs> it gives them an aha moment.
0: With your experience having written your book and having spoken about it, do you think it's possible for people who don't have the same experience with these complex identities to understand you?
1: Well, I hope so. I I certainly, people who have read it have told me that they had sort of aha moments of sort of understanding something about themselves through my story, because it's, as I said in the beginning, it's a universal story of looking for a sense of belonging and home, which we all need, whether we travel or not, whether we're an immigrant or not, we always have to find the sense of belonging. It's because, as I said in the beginning, we are social beings. Our brain are, are wired for us to connect. So this is not luxury. <laughs> this is a basic, basic human need. And it's important how we find it, hopefully, in a way that's socially useful and not socially destructive that people will start seeing people like me and from my culture as full human beings. I got actually an email from somebody who read it who said, I never realized Arabs are full human beings. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) That's strong. Yeah, but it was so honest and kind, you know, and I met this person and we had the lovely talk and I thought, oh my God, this exceeded my wildest hope that my story can open hearts and minds. And that's really why I decided to publish it because we need to open our hearts and minds to each other because the world needs it. I mean, I get emotional just thinking of it. We miss that opening of hearts and minds. That happens when we truly get to know the other, you know, the other between quotes and not see the other as threatening or dangerous or so different that we can't possibly... Share something with them. Yeah, because when you encounter differentness, it kind of challenges your own values and worldviews, which a lot of times we're not aware of. Harvard has a test that everybody can take. It's called the implicit bias test, is that as human beings, we are all biased in some form. It's an unconscious bias, so we're not even conscious we are biased. And it's not to judge ourselves or others, But to realize, hey, you know, it's like that email that says, you know, I never really realized Arabs are full human beings. Bias is just part of being human. And when you get to know a person socially, a neighbor, the cashier at the store, and you realize, hey, you know, this person is from whatever country or he looks this way, then you realize, hey, you know, he's kind of a decent, nice person. And then that is going to help us come together. Especially these days when we're so divided, but to open our hearts and minds and not feel threatened.
0: It's true that storytelling and speaking about your own experience it's a very good way to have people resonate and understand things. An episode you tell in your book when you were a small girl and you had your first encounter with bias and the fact that somebody was telling you you were different, so you were not welcomed.
1: Oh, yes. That was probably the trauma that sort of permeated my life unconsciously. I used to go to church with my cousins, and on Sunday before service, we'd go and help the priest put up, I don't know, put the books or Bibles or whatever. And for me, you know, I'm six years old, it was enjoyable to be with my cousin and doing something helpful. The third time I went with her to do that, the priest came to the door and wouldn't let me in. He put up his hand, he said, you can't come in here anymore. And I must have asked him, because you know children wipe out trauma like that. And I must have asked, well, why not? I've been coming here. But I remember what he said, because your father is Muslim. to this day, when I say that, I feel like somebody threw a bucket of ice water on me, comprehending that at age six, because, you know, hadn't had any problem. Both my families were loving, They got along very well. I never experienced prejudice and discrimination. And I never told anybody that because that's what happens when a child is traumatized. They call it the freeze response. You know, the three things you fight, flight or freeze. And I think as a kid, I just froze.
0: So then when you were in the United States and there were these 9-11 episodes, you were thrown back to where you, when you were a child, I guess. I mean, people will judge you not because of who you are, but about who they think you belong with, what group.
1: Yeah, a lot of Arab Americans were sort of, uh, there was actually attacks and harassment, a lot of prejudice. And and so I didn't feel it personally, except once when they wouldn't allow me on a plane to go give my lecture. I was teaching in North Carolina. And that was right after 9-11. And I realized, hey, just because of my name and maybe how I look, although I can be taken for just <laughs> any culture. And I thought, oh, my God, you know, this is interesting. I have never felt discriminated like that before. And it sort of opened my eyes to say, you know, I need to show up as a human being, as somebody, as somebody that readers can relate to and see, ah. Oh, this is just another human being like me. And that's my hope. It also
0: teaches you that you can always be discriminated in your life. You're never sure it won't happen to you.
1: Well, but also, I mean, different can be anything. It'll be somebody mm-hmm. that dyes her hair purple. It's Differentness is not necessarily just cultural or racial or, you know, how you look, you know, it could be anything. That's what bias is and depends Mm -hmm. on on your own experience as a child and growing up and your family's values and everything. Different is, it could be anything. It's you live on the wrong side of town. Or uh, you wear glasses. I mean, so many people wear teas in school because they wore glasses, at least in my husband's, uh, you know, age group when he was young. So different sometimes feels threatening because it is different, mm-hmm. but different is just different. <laughs> That's all, you know, and can you imagine if everybody was a cookie cutter of everybody else? What a boring mm-hmm. world it would be. <laughs>
0: No, but I think you really explained it very well. Difference is positive. Different is not threatening.
1: Yeah, and it depends, uh, I mean, as a therapist, it really depends on your, your childhood experience of differentness. And this is part of the training I do for, for people and therapists. And that is so formative, how you experience differentness as a child and how your family viewed differentness are so much unconsciously part of how you will during your life to view differentness, however you define that, you know?
0: So do you think, I mean, the main influence would come from the family or the culture, school? All of uh, that,
1: plus your own experience as a child and how you interpreted that. If your early experience of encountering differentness was a positive one, then you go through life thinking, oh, this is fun. This person dresses differently, eats differently. Does, you? it's interesting. I want to learn more. Or if your early experience has been traumatic or difficult, then when you encounter differentness in any way, as I said it is, then you're going to be a little kind of worried, concerned, however your experience was and what how you interpreted it. Of course, mm-hmm. family uh, influences. So it's it's not just one thing, all, all of that together, because a lot of times we can rebel against what our family believes. We can say, well, I don't like this or I don't like that, and I'm not going to grow up doing this. You know how kids do that. Mm-hmm. And so it's really unique to each individual. I have
0: so many more questions I would like to <laughs> to ask you, but then it would be too long. As you said in your book that home was a tricky word at a certain point, and I wanted to ask you if it's still the case.
1: No. Home is tricky, especially if you grew up moving a lot, whether you're a military kid or foreign service or international business or whatever. Or even moving around a lot within the United States, because if you think of it for a child being uprooted each time, because when you leave, you don't just leave a, a house, you don't just leave a neighborhood, a school, friends. If you're moving cross-culturally, you also are leaving uh, food that you like, certain environment You know, my daughter, once I asked her when we were leaving Lebanon for, it was her first visit there. And we were going home, home to the U.S. And I said, you know, for us moving around for 31 years, every two, three years, home is kind of a complex thing. And she said, you know, mom, home is where you are loved. I'll always remember that. And that's true. So I'm loved here. I'm loved back in Lebanon by my family. So (laughs) I have two homes. And each person will find their own way of what home is for them. But it is important for people to realize that if you're moving a lot, highly mobile, home is is a little bit trickier to to understand and find.
0: I love the idea that home is where you are loved. Yes. That that makes a lot of sense to me. It means also, as you say, that you can be home in different places.
1: Yes, absolutely. And the more mixed your identity, culture can be home, food can be home. That's why a lot of immigrants, for example, the first thing they do is open a little in the, hole, in the wall and sell falafel. Because food is a connection to your roots, and it also is part of home, <laughs> you know what I mean?
0: Oh, yes. Food is so important for me.
1: It is important. And we forget that. That's part of a culture. So, you know, people make fun of Americans going to Europe and going into McDonald's to have their hamburger. And they say, you come to, you know, to come to Europe to have your hamburger. But it's part of, you know, feeling like, oh, I'm connecting with something that is home for me. That's why we have such a rich group of ethnic uh, restaurants. It's something that, again, is part of helping people have an experience of another culture and realizing, oh, I really, I've never had curry before. That's really good. And so food is is a very important part of cross-cultural understanding, I think.
0: Yes, exactly.
1: As long as you appreciate that, hey, you know, this is good. I, I like this, even though I've never had it before. So, food is <laughs> really important, and I know in Lebanon, food is central. Oh
0: yes, it's so. Halad, <laughs> <laughs> so. would you like to add something to what you said today?
1: You know, one thing that I would like to maybe put out there is that, you know, the U.S. has always been considered like, quote, a melting pot. And I think for me, the way I see the U.S., it's like a big, beautiful salad. Because if you think of a melting pot, it means every Irish, German, Indian, Arab, whatever immigrant who came here, because we're all immigrants, let's face it, except for native people and, you know, slaves who were brought against their will, that we don't want to have one of our identities sort of lost in a melting pot. I think we are more of a, a beautiful salad where each of us can recognize, oh, I'm the strawberry in the salad, or I'm this in the salad, and see it as a salad rather than a melting pot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> For me, anyway, personally, it feels much more congruent with who we are.
0: Yes, it's true. A lot of people, when they arrive, they don't want to be seen as different, so they try to m- melt, yeah in the culture and uh, it's it's true yeah, it's, it's sad i we have to teach all the children that it's a richness all these differences
1: yeah i think lalami writes a book about that and she makes a distinction between assimilating and integrating because integrating doesn't mean you lose yourself integrating is just you bring together a lot of ingredients just like a salad and you make it into a beautiful whole Whereas a melting pot, if you think of a melting pot, everything goes and it just melts away and becomes just one thing. I don't think that's what we are as a country. The richness of our country is that we are a beautiful salad of mixture of people and cultures and food (laughs) and and all that.
0: But, you know, I'm very happy to be able to taste this salad and meet all different ingredients that are in it, (laughs) I have to say.
1: Well, good. Enjoy the salad, Valerie. (laughs) I can see you enjoy it too. And now I'm hungry. I have to go eat something. (laughs) Yes, I made you hungry. I'm hungry too.
0: (laughs) (laughs) thank you very much. It was really a pleasure to speak with you today. Thank
1: you, Valerie. That was so sweet of you to ask me. And I really love your podcasts and they're they're really wonderful. So I applaud you for doing it. Thank Uh, you.
0: Thank you. That's very nice of you and uh, enjoy your salad and I hope to speak to you soon.
1: Okay. All right. Take care. You too. Bye. Bye.